Gregimus the Paladin, Whizbang the Wizard, of course, and Moro the Quick Bard have been traveling through the forest. You discover the location of Stodor's Manor, and you see some shape in the distance next to a tree. Excellent. I stride valiantly forward to investigate the shape next to the tree. By your torchlight, you begin to make out a child's form clad in a rough tunic bound to the tree with hempen rope. Their lips are moving slowly, and you can hear something on the edge of your hearing. Hmm. I don't know if I want to hear this. This seems sinister. I approach the child. As you do, their, their head snaps up, streams of, of thick gruel flipping outwards as they shout at you, A good student rises to their duties, shouting it over and over again louder, eyes rolling back in their heads. More of the quick quickly turns around and runs the hell away. By the gods, this is intense. Tense? Where? Let's hide. Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined by Greg. Hello. Leslie. Hello. And our special guest, Camilla. Hi there. And we will be talking about the Demon Collective, Volume 1, and uh, Camilla's involvement, the adventure that she's creating, and, and those types of things. But first, let's go ahead and dive into what we've been playing. Let's go ahead and start off with you, Camilla. What have you been playing lately? Board game-wise, being the topic of the show in, in a certain sense, I've been playing a lot of Root and Kickstarter. For RPGs recently, I've been playing a bunch of 5th edition, of course. Nice. Also, Mothership and a weird game called Glog, which I can get into more. Glog? Glog. Yes. Glog. Let, let's get into that. What sure. is Glog? Uh, <laughs> it's the Goblin Laws of Gaming. So oh there's this guy, Arnold K, who has a blog called Goblin Punch. I thought maybe the blog was called Glog. Yeah, it would have been nice. <laughs> Glogatog. And he's been kind of publishing this weird hacked-together set of rules for some time now mm-hmm. that's in a semi-collected state, and it has some really, really cool like third-party design work that's been done for it, in addition to the work that he's done. Yeah. And it's a really hackable system. So I'm trying that in a, in a Sunday night campaign that I'm running. Nice. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, yeah, it's great. What's the setting? Or is that like what you're hacking? It's a semi-generic fantasy setting, but okay. it's really easy to make. Like I made... um like a class for like granite dwarfs where they're like made out of stone and they like eat metal and then they can like vomit it back up and like smith it into things and oh that's cool there's like a cool like living illusion class that the party might unlock as they go through this dungeon yeah very cool yeah this sounds pretty awesome yeah yeah Yeah. you can do a lot with it i mean like it's one of those ones where the rule set sort of steps back and allows the design of like the adventure and the classes and the interaction between the gm and the players to sort of shine okay but you know, I said that it's sort of like a hacked together collection of rules from his blog, and sometimes that can be to the detriment of clarity at the table. Yeah. So that's what we're sort of struggling with. I've I've encountered that in other systems before. Yeah. So actually, I was curious. I've I've had Root sitting on my shelf of shame pretty much for about well since the Kickstarter came out. Sure. Yep. Since um, it arrived here. Yeah. What do you think of it? I think it was actually Kathleen who described it as a cute coin game. <laughs> uh, that's not a bad description. Um, <laughs> oh, I've played it. it like, is cute. Well, I mean, well, I've never played a coin game, so maybe I shouldn't <laughs> say that. Um, I've played it about like a half dozen times now. I think as the Vagabond, a couple times as the Irie, and twice as the Woodland Alliance. And I really like it. It's really different every time. Each of the different like factions that you can play as yeah. has like a really interesting puzzle. Yeah, it does a really good job of mechanically embodying a theme in a way that allows you to either play like to the mechanics or play to the theme and have like a really good time either way. 
Yeah. I played it at uh, Gen Con last year. A friend mm. backed it on Kickstarter. And I think it arrived the day before he left for Gen Con. And oh, so yeah. he brought it with him. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I just don't care for asymmetric games. And, okay. That's and so fair. that is a yeah. struggle for me that, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know... Is that from like a difficulty of learning perspective or a balance of interaction? I think there's, it just felt imbalanced at least. I've, and to be fair, I've only played it once, but it, it definitely felt imbalanced. And I've, I've run into that issue with other asymmetric games. I was not a fan of Vast. Mm. Well, and the other problem with Vast is if you don't have anybody who's played it before, trying to figure out yeah. how to play it is... It's very dense. Yeah, it's very dense. And then Villainous has some of the same problems where the different villains have kind of unbalanced victory conditions sure yeah so but it is very cute uh, yeah. root is yeah. adorable i will say that and i probably should give it a second try i liked it more than i liked best i mean i think it's it's definitely also one of those things where it's whether or not it's going to be like a perfectly balanced strategic experience it's really fun to play yeah just the visceral well, experience of playing that's what, and that's what i usually go out for yeah no fun to play is number one that's <laughs> that's that's the important so yeah did you say you'd also been playing some Keyforge? Yes, yeah. I, I really like Keyforge. I've been playing it a bunch. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was saying to someone, one of the things that I like most about it is every time you're doing something in Keyforge, you're doing something. You're always, like, using a card. You're always generating an important resource, taking something out, messing with the other player. And there's not just this, like, mechanical chaff of, like, passing through endless phases and upkeep and keeping your land base and like maybe that reduces the strategic depth in a certain sense but i don't know it, it just makes it more again viscerally enjoyable for me nice and yeah. i think that's fine especially i mean you look at card games like competitive card games and that's a fairly crowded space and if yeah. you're thinking about strategic depth like magic has that corner yeah cornered yeah <laughs> um, like you, well said. you don't need to compete in that space so doing something else that's you know different and make it more like accessible, I guess I feel like. Yeah. Um, seems like it would be a much more successful way to go with that. The thing that I've been curious about with Keyforge is I've heard so you buy a deck and the deck is comprised of random cards. Mm-hmm. And with really random names. Each deck is very specific and very unique and like there won't ever be another deck like it. Do you have any flexibility in regards to like can you swap cards out? Like that um, this has been my yeah, eternal yeah, yeah. question about this game. Yeah. So each deck is entirely fixed. Strictly speaking, it's not that there's no deck like it, but there's no deck identical to it. Okay. So the deck has a name and there's a fixed card list, which is printed and like you get it. Sure. So instead of balancing the game through individual players' deck building, mm-hmm. there's like a pairwise handicap mechanic that they call chain. Like a really cool example of, of how to use chain is in one of the published formats, which is called like reverse or something like that. Um, you and I, we come to the table and, and we each have our decks. And we play a game. And then after that, we switch decks um, and we play another game. And at this point, one of two things has happened. Either this deck has won both games or one of us has won both games. Sure. Okay. So either a player has won the two out of three or we've both recognized which one is the better deck. Mm -hmm. If that happens, then we bid handicap for that deck. Interesting. So you kind of establish what the kind of comparative power level of that deck is between those two. Sure. And and that's really neat. I think that's interesting. 
they're they're using that kind of mechanic um, or the the chain mechanic in the kind of ladder play. They call it like chain bound or whatever. So when you're playing in organized play events, mm-hmm. when you accumulate wins or losses, that affects the the chain value for your deck. Okay, and that was going to be sort of another question that I had, which is I know to go based on Magic, which is sort of the card game with which I'm most familiar. Sure. Like you have a constantly shifting meta. They're releasing a new set like every three months or something. Yeah. So they can take stock of what's happening in competitive play. They can release cards that are designed to counter what's strong, to mm-hmm. buff what's weak. And so I guess in Keyforge, the solution to that is this chain mechanic where you've got actually a dynamic basically score for your deck that's going to adjust based on how strong or weak it is. Yeah, yeah. I might be recalling it correctly, but I think that's also the metric that they use for gaining access to higher level organized play. But I've only I've only skimmed through documents. Interesting. I this is all extremely fascinating and I might have to go pick up a deck now. Yeah. <laughs> I just wish that the theming wasn't so terrible. What? Well, I mean, I, yeah, I guess I've there's only so much. I've seen some really weird names on the internet for some of like the char- like the unique the, cards. The archons? Yeah, yes. Yeah, real The weird. archons who have come to the crucible to unlock the keys to gain access to the vaults. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds correct. All right. Yes. Yeah, buzzwords. Yeah, cool. yep, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe now that the decks are a little bit easier to get. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to stop by Labyrinth and pick up some cards. Do it. Stop by your friendly local game store. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I work at said friendly local game store. (laughs) Yes. I'm not out there. Yeah, well, we go there anyway to get a lot of board games anyway. It is our favorite local game store. Yeah. We're biased, too. (laughs) (laughs) So, let's see. What else uh, have people been playing around the table? Um, Well, I've been playing a lot of Wingspan. Yep. I don't want to talk about that too much because, spoiler alert, we're going to review it here probably next week. Yep. Not de- not even probably, like definitely, definitely. next week. Definitely. We know for a fact that that's <laughs> Which is rare for us. Because we can see into the future. We can. <laughs> um, it has been foretold. Exactly. Other than that, those of you who don't know, my husband paints miniatures, and when we get a game that has miniatures, he refuses to play it. Until the miniatures are painted. Yep. So we finally got to play Rise of Moloch that he's had for six or eight months because he's finally got (laughs) enough of the miniatures painted. That he feels comfortable letting other people see it. Yeah. So we went over to a friend's house to play some of that. I posted pictures on our Instagram. It's a one versus many Mm -hmm. sort of steampunky game like set in like Sherlock Holmes kind of era with a lot of... Mm -hmm weirdness and steampunk like big hats and lots of layers of suits fancy lots goggles of suits with gears and on lots them. of fancy goggles with gears i had a character that had had like teleportation like gizmo it was you know what, what do you do well the- we're all part of the unicorn club and okay. you're trying to beat the bad guys who are anti-unicorn club and there's every character has a lot of backstory sherlock holmes and watson etc are all in the game elizabeth nice. adler okay. or irene adler irene, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah excuse me there's a elizabeth another elizabeth from something else yeah so the first game was pretty simple there was a a woman it, that was trapped in a building and then there were we had allies that were little cops and the building was on fire and we had to get her out before the big bads came out. I mean, the big bads also have little allies that they control that were zombies. And no joke, there are zombies and then there are flaming zombies. So if you set your zombie on fire, there's a different mini. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so Hunter's like, this zombie is on fire. And he takes it off the board and we're like, oh, he destroyed his own bad guy. This is great. And he replaced it with a flaming zombie. 
<laughs> yep. Um, you thought you were safe. We thought we were but safe, no. but now we had flaming zombies. So you have to get her out off the board before. Yeah. So uh, it's like a. But they get to her. So it's like a GM'd miniature combatty thing. Yeah, and then he's got like different cards that he can play, and we had different cards that we could play, and we had different abilities and and different gizmos, and there's magic, and so the first game we got her out. It was hard, but it wasn't like impossible Mm -hmm. the next two games we were annihilated (laughs) annihilated i can't even remember the middle game but the last game like everything was on fire there were tiny clowns everywhere with giant hammers and it was very unpleasant (laughs) sounds like a nightmare i had clown warning yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly tiny clowns and it was funny because we killed all but one tiny clown and for some reason that one tiny clown rolled the best dice the rest of the game and just like annihilated everything into avengers friends clearly yeah spirits clearly. of all the clowns yeah yeah so uh it was very entertaining where there's there's a couple different like storylines that you follow so we i think have a couple more stories within that storyline to play out with our friends cool yeah it was kind of bonkers but fun sounds like i'm really hoping maybe we win another game that would be cool but hunter's very accustomed to losing the one versus money because sure. they're hard yeah. to win yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, when you're the one so he was like i'm not going easy on you guys you threw, <laughs> you threw him a bone that's what it was <laughs> no no everything was on fire and um <laughs> the two people it's me and two other people and they are also very very skilled gamers i i don't you met robin tiff at the yeah. new year's party mm-hmm. rob is ranked like number one in the world in the infinity and tiff is his wife and beats him on the regular so nice um yeah so they're power couple yeah oh yeah they're amazing they're some of my favorite people Mm -hmm. so the the three of us together couldn't beat hunter everything was on fire yeah that's that's pretty serious yeah Alrighty. well that's a look at what we've been playing All right, it is interview time. We're going to discuss the Demon Collective Volume 1 currently on Kickstarter through yep. March 2nd at 10 a.m., I believe. Yeah, that's Yeah, fine. perfect. So you still have time to go online and back it, and now we're going to talk a lot about it and tell you why you should. So I think we're going to start talking to Camilla with... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, who are you? Why are, <laughs> why are you in Jacob's apartment right now? <laughs> yeah, um, my name is Camilla Greer. I've loved RPGs for a long, long time, which is why I got a job at Labyrinth Game Shop in DC, which is how I came to know Jacob and mm-hmm. the rest of y'all as well. Yeah. How long have you been gaming? You've been around Labyrinth for a while already, but you were gaming before then. So Yeah, uh, it's kind of funny. Um, as I said, I've been playing RPGs for a long time, mm-hmm. um, since sometime in middle school, playing D&D for the first time on a hiking trip, nice. which is the optimal D&D experience. Sounds like it. Around um, a campfire? Yeah, like around a campfire at like the top of a mountain. Perfect. Awesome. Wow. That sounds amazing. Yes, yeah, sweet. I actually didn't really play board games for a long time until I started working at Labyrinth. I just mm-hmm. had RPGs and childcare experience. And then since then, I've just been gradually stepping up my engagement until I'm now like, War of the Ring, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. What uh, are some of the RPGs that you've played? So I played lots and lots of RPGs. I started with D&D 3.5. Um, that was what my first game was. And after that, I spent a while trying to smash my head against fate, but never 
really got that system to work in the way that I wanted it to. Oh, same. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's just like everything is like, I, I guess this is an aspect. Like, are my really good shoes an aspect? I don't know. Someday I should tell you about the time my friend found a system that was fate and Shadowrun smushed together. That sounds like like new Shadowrun with way too many pages and subsystems. Yeah, like you thought it was going to be good because creating a character in Shadowrun is like impossible and Shadowrun <laughs> involves like square roots and it's kind of a nightmare. But then, then fate had the same problem that we would just stop in the middle of things not knowing if my shoes were an aspect exactly, you yeah. know? Yeah, so, yeah. I, so I hear you. Yeah, so I spent like a while kind of trying to smash my head against that and being really into like collecting weird RPGs and things like that. And then there's a part of me that realized that was getting in the way of actually playing the game. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I decided to just like, to just like let that go. Don't try weird systems. Don't try weird stuff. Just like D&D, fifth edition, you're a bunch of heroes. There's a necromancer. Go at it. And I've had so much more fun. And since then, just my skills as a GM have gotten so much stronger. Nice. That I'm only kind of like just now starting to look back out onto like more diverse and interesting systems and things now that I have more tools on my belt. Nice. That's very fair. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a great way to approach it. It's like you got to walk before you can run, I guess is the saying. So like, yeah, stick with the, the bread and butter systems and then branch out into some of the weirder stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like why I love RPGs is that I think that, you know, any form of like expression or art really benefits from this like feedback loop where you put something out there and there's an audience that has a reception to it. And then you get feedback, even if it's not like a formal creator audience divide. Mm -hmm. And with like D&D and RPGs, that's happening every single moment at the table and and centering everything about RPGs on that loop, on just playing the game, on seeing what works, on learning, on just like getting those just hours in is is what's been the most rewarding for me since I took that focus. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I love collaborative storytelling. Mm-hmm. Love it. It's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That leads us into, uh, well, you've created an adventure for the Demon Collective Volume 1. Yeah. Yeah. I have to make a lot of adventures for work, mm-hmm. for like our kids' D&D program. And I just love coming up with adventures like all the time anyways. It's extremely heart touching. It just warms my heart that you play D&D with kids. Like that makes me so happy. It's so amazing. <laughs> and uh, like one of my favorite kids is this girl, Naomi, who plays this wizard, Therostra, who just has like a lust for destruction and power <laughs> that I have never seen out of such a small child. And it's, uh, I, I love it every time. What there, are the there's so ages? Many it's like, 10 to 14. Ballpark. Okay. okay. That's, yeah. a, that's like, good age to get my started. My niece is six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There She's are... got a few years, Leslie. <laughs> yeah. She also lives in Idaho. So. She Makes can, it a little bit more she difficult. She can commute. It's fine. Check out like Hero Kids and like Dungeon Squad are both yeah, really yeah. interesting. So I come up with a lot of adventures for that. And sometimes those adventures are ones that I come back to and reuse. And this is one of those. So it's changed a lot since then. I've kind of like amped up a lot of the elements of it that I have to like tone down for the kids at the table and kind of added more wrappers and things around it. That sounds pretty fantastic. The working title for this is Night School, I believe. Yes. It's, okay. Yeah. And it is a horror adventure. Yeah. Why horror? The decision for this to be like a horror-centric zine is one that was a little bit before me, actually. So there's a group of like creators, authors, editors, whatever, um, that have kind of fallen in with 
And we have like a Discord server and we just like talk about RPGs and different projects and things like that. And for a while, people have been like, oh, like we should do a thing together, whatever. Until one of the people, David Sugars, put together this company, GMDK, and said like, hey, I'm actually doing this. I'm putting out this zine. I want you all to do work for it. And then I kind of tried to see like if I wanted to come up with something new or, or take something out of my catalog and like turn it into something more published. And at that point, it, it was going to be a horror thing. Gotcha. All right. So everyone collectively decided horror. Yes. Yeah. Got it. And then within that, so your particular adventure, can you give us a, a summary, an overview? Without, um, without spoiling too much. I don't want to ruin it for you. Yeah. paperback. Like. There you go. Yeah. yeah. You could summarize it as there is a sort of magical boarding school where like everything has gone like pretty wrong and things have gone fairly off the rails in humane ways. And the players have to go figure out why and what's happening and, and stop it. All right. Cool. I mean, that sounds really intense. Yeah. yeah. So actually, with this all being an, a horror zine and everything, I've always found it very difficult to balance like creating a horror experience in an RPG. Do you have any like go-to things that, that you use when you're when you're trying to make it more of a horror type uh, game that that have worked really well for you? Yeah, well, so it's a lot of the same lessons that you can take from like writing or film or anything like that, where it's so much about like not not showing things and implying and like letting the players like wonder and and fear giving them like flashes of things and then using that to kind of decide where to direct your narration and which elements like of the game to include and and bring into play yeah your imagination is way more terrifying than anything that's real yeah (laughs) yeah that is true i'm just imagining you terrifying these small children <laughs> i think that i'm okay with it though you know, yeah they I need mean, to learn <laughs> like i can tell you that like the like the first thing that the players will encounter as they like approach this is that they're like trees in this forest and they're just like children like tied to them like drooling slack-jawed with like dried gruel on their tunics like reciting um like the rules of the school and they'll start just like shouting them as like creepy scarecrows as people approach yeah that oh, sounds yeah. extremely sinister yes. yeah yeah yeah. It definitely sounds like there's something going on in that school. <laughs> if you've never run Changeling, I highly recommend you try. I think uh, you would enjoy it. <laughs> I played a little World of Darkness stuff. But yeah. Never. yeah, Changeling the Lost, if you do it right, it can be absolutely terrifying. So it's my favorite game. Yeah. So this is really exciting. You've been designing adventures for, for kids and for your gaming groups and all that sort of thing. This is on Kickstarter now. Like yeah. you're really close to a having a very successful Kickstarter. A wildly yeah. successful Kickstarter. I would yeah. say you guys are close to hitting your third stretch goal, right? Yeah, I don't know what what number of the stretch goals, but we're close to hitting our five thousand dollars stretch goal, which I entirely attribute to the skills and and prominence of the other people on the Kickstarter. I am just riding on their coattails. Sure, but it it is super exciting. Sorry, you were going to ask a question. Well, I was gonna I was just going to ask what's it like. I mean, I have never been published in anything, but I imagine it's a pretty exciting moment for you. Yeah, it's incredibly exciting for me. It's interesting because so many times, like when you're writing an adventure for yourself, you're just kind of sketching out things, and it just sits in the back of your brain. But when you actually get stuff out onto a page, you can go through this like iterative process of like working things out and filling in all these gaps. And trying to figure out a way to do so that is a valuable resource to GMs who want to play the game mm-hmm. is is interesting. One of the things I love about the other people in this collective is that it's not just like putting out, you know, 
uh, like fantasy fiction formatted as an RPG adventure that everyone is very focused around like, how can this be useful at the table? Mm. Like, what are the actual elements that we need in this? What's missing? And the kind of the advice and the guidance that they're able to give me is amazing. You know, I couldn't be working with better people. That's awesome. That's fantastic. How did you connect with them? Just through a friend of a friend. So as, as some of you have seen the Kickstarter may know, everyone who's working on this are trans women or non-binary people. And that was actually the, the group that I fell in with initially, just through a friend who also is within that category. Awesome. Um, just to support each other in the industry. Oh, very cool. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Have you found that it's been like a positive experience? Has, has there been any like feedback from the community? Has it been a welcoming thing or has there been not much at all? Yeah. So I've seen like a ton of support for this stuff. My like social media presence is definitely lesser than a lot of the other people involved. Like I don't have a Twitter. I wasn't really active on like Google Plus. Do y'all know about like the weird Google Plus is where indie RPGs yeah. happened thing? Yep. No. Yep. But, yeah. No. But is that why they're killing Google Plus? Yeah. It's Google just Plus is going away. It's competing with wizards. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't been as personally exposed to a lot sure. of that stuff. And again, I'm a more minor name on it, but like a lot of people are like really repping us and that feels great. It's awesome. Fantastic. So with, with the Demon Collective Volume 1 being a group of trans women and non-binary non writers, how does that almost uh, translate or compare to almost your your everyday experiences like, you know, in the gaming community? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, my experience in like the board gaming community, as I mentioned, I don't have like a huge online presence. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's mostly just been uh, in-person stuff has been through Labyrinth. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I'm really happy to be at Labyrinth is Labyrinth takes a very proactive role in doing everything that it can to make it like a safer space um, mm -hmm. for people who might not otherwise have that kind of permission by default to come to play games, to make games, to kind of form friends within the community. Mm -hmm. And like, I know that like, if there's any sort of conflict, like at Labyrinth, not only will like people be on my side, but like people will actively step up to support me and to back me up. And that like active role um, in stepping up to like make safer spaces rather than just not being discriminatory is is really huge. And that's what I see a lot of the support as online. That's awesome. And it's really exciting to see when Labyrinth does stuff with kids, yeah. that those kids are being exposed to that active role too. And so hopefully building a next generation of more awesome gamers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of the things I like about it is they don't get XP for gold. They don't get XP for killing monsters. They get XP for being heroic, yeah. um, and that gives us a really good opportunity for communication with them. It's delightful. Yeah, I know. I mean, I knew like I knew Labyrinth had a lot of like children's programming, but that's I'm like, yeah. Oh, so it's it's been one of my I can't big even things because it used to just be like one shots, and you would print up like a level one character sheet, and you would just use that, and that's what the kids D and D was. And I was like, no, they're gonna get characters. They're gonna level up. They're gonna get cool treasure. And then, and it's been, it's really blown up and like the kids love it. And I'm just like, see, D&D is cooler than magic. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the chip on your shoulder. The whole time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. I love Best it. Best thing in the world. Building a better generation of gamers. I love it. It makes me really happy. And there's so many kids now who have D&D clubs and like they're after school. Like at their schools. Yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing. 
Where yeah. was that one? Well, I mean, I guess we had that. It just wasn't sanctioned by the school. We just yeah. went over to my friend's house and played D&D. Yeah. yeah. I know that uh, like I see a lot of times on the board gaming groups, it's like there's a slew of just people being like, hey, I'm creating a board gaming club for my sons or my daughters, mm-hmm. like you know, high school uh, or like middle school or, or whatever. It's like, what games should I bring or what yeah. things should I do? Like, what RPGs should I play? And it's, it's really nice to see that that's... It's developing. And there are a few games out there designed specifically for kids as yeah. well. I think yeah. you, you mentioned a couple, and but I mean, there's no reason they can't play D&D, right? right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the thing is that at the, at the end of the day, like playing D&D isn't about like, you know, your mastery of like how to roll the right dice or how to build the best character, but about being presented with a situation, like deciding to interpret it, to form your own goals, and then to make choices to accomplish those goals. Mm-hmm. And you can do that at any age. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Back to the demon collective uh-huh. real quick. Is that D&D based or what are the rules? What's the rule system? Yeah. So it's sort of a smattering. A lot of us play like a lot of different RPGs and kind of as I was saying that it's like it's not really about the system mastery, it's about the way things are designed and the kind of choices that are presented. So like in mine for example, I have run it a couple times in 5th edition. That's how where I initially conceived of it, mm-hmm. but I kind of tried to write the rules and describe the monsters and the items in a way that isn't heavily dependent on that one rule set. And while, you know, some of the other adventures are around like, you know, BXD&D or like OD&D or like other various systems. I think we're all trying to take that mindset of not being tied down to a single one. Yeah. So you can take everything in it to any table. I mean, it sounds, especially from what you've described, both that as well as thinking about how would how would a GM in particular use these resources, it sounds like you're all being extremely conscientious of how you would want this to be written if you were to receive it and then try to run this adventure, which, I mean, I'm sure is going to be appreciated by the people who pick it up. Yeah, yeah. that's that's our intent. What is your favorite part of your story, if you can share it? Oh, gosh. So maybe... I have three favorite parts. Okay. Absolutely. I'm done. So there are these animated books called Book Mites, which are what that like graphic was. Oh, yeah. We wanted to ask about that. It's an absolutely fantastic graphic. It's amazing. It's terrifying. Like that. So like I knew that I was working on this project and then I had to send in my description. And it's like, you know, it's like a book where the pages have been like opened up and origami into a strange insectile creature. And then I got the art back and I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and they're really cool. They come in uh, trilogies. Get it? Oh, um, awesome. And when they swarm you, they'll like steal words from you. So oh, I have like wow. a piece of paper and I'm like writing down like the words the players are using at the table. I'm just like, you don't know what a child is anymore. And then they just have to play with that like the rest of it. So those are really fun. So oh, cool. I love it. Um, and this one's going to be a major spoiler. So... Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, the headmaster of the of the school or the manor, kind of Lord Stodor, died like I don't know, like a hundred years ago or something like that. And he has since then been in his like office, and then he's been like, "Don't disturb! I'm gonna be in my office." And he like died. Some <laughs> schools <laughs> going like that. And if you go in there, his skeleton slumped over, and his like skull has like exploded, and there's just like ink and papers everywhere because he like messed up these spells that are supposed to like generate information. Oh wow! Okay, that's like really grim. Oh, that's, that's very yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, but also very like evocative. Like, yeah, that's very on theme. Yeah, and then the third thing I really love is there's like this water tank up at like the top of like a bell tower, and that's where they take people to like induct them into the school or to punish students, where they like submerge them in the water and then just like ring this huge bell over their head and like shout at them. It's wow, creepy. 
Yeah. That's amazing. Sounds like some, it sounds like some pretty excellent design work. Yeah. And so you, you mentioned the artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you, you've got uh, especially some stretch goals like related to the artwork. Yeah. And I know that the artist here is, uh, I, I don't know her name, but they're absolutely amazing. Yeah. Lauren Bryce is fantastic. Yeah. So just wanted to give her a shout out because like based on the Kickstarter page, based on everything that I've seen so far, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You all, you all should hire her. You can find her at artstation.com slash cat lady. I mean, mm-hmm. if we're in the market for art. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we've covered a lot. We have talked about who you are, how you got into gaming, what this project has been like, what it's meant to you. I think Leslie and I each have some questions that we can't not ask. Okay. So I'll get started. What is your favorite donut? My favorite donut, French cruller, hands down. Bam! Right off the bat. I like that answer. <laughs> yes. All right. I've been a French cruller lover for years. They're so light and flaky, and they make you feel less bad than other donuts. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Strong yeah. answer. So I think pro- probably oh. the... Str- oh, no. There was someone who had very strong feelings about a... a what's the croissant donut? Cronut? Cronut. Cronut. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. That, like this, they're good. This but... was a good answer. Also, sorry. I might have to check the back. My favorite donut is a free donut. Ah, okay. also that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, also valid. <laughs> Very. Um, I also like to ask about any other hobbies that you have because I have many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Leslie's hobby is hobbies. Yes, my hobby is hobbies. So, if you have any other hobbies outside of gaming or or RPGs, yeah, I really like listening to music. I really like uh, reading science fiction. I like messing around with my like Linux computer and like doing some programming stuff. Um, with that, like I've recently made like a Discord bot for the first time, and that's been really fun. And those are the biggies. Yeah. Nice. Cool. It's a solid list. Yeah. And I'll ask one last one. If you were stranded on a desert island, what game and or RPG would you take? Oh, uh, like a for hunter a game, question. I would bring Go. Okay. But I mean, I wouldn't bring it because like you can just scratch just a line in the sand sticks. and just find yeah. some stones. Yeah. And for what RPG I would bring... Probably just some flavor of old school D and D. Yeah, because you'll be able to memorize that before the pages erode. <laughs> <laughs> That's well true. That's true. That's the way to do it. Well, there you go, Camilla Greer. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been my pleasure. For you listening, don't forget to check out the Demon Collective Volume One. The Kickstarter runs through, well, not through, but until 10 a.m. March second. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Dragon's Demise, and a huge thank you to Camilla for joining us on this episode of Dragon's Demise. Thanks for having me. Thank you, as always, to our Patreon supporters, particularly our Greater Worms. We love you. We really appreciate all of your support. That is Meg, Sam, Casey, Carissa, and Hunter. Right, Leslie's husband. (laughs) We love him, too. We do. We also want to give a shout out to our Instagram friend, Nerd Dad with Running Shoes. Not Nerd Dad Running with Shoes, but Nerd Dad with Running Shoes, who also has a podcast. So please go ahead and check out his podcast because he was kind enough to give us a shout on Instagram. And also, please, please, please don't forget to check out uh, Camilla's Kickstarter on gmdk.org four letters so easy you can back at four or five different levels camilla do you want to share those levels with us yeah you can get a plain text for a dollar pdf for five a book for 12 or 50 dollars gets you drawn in as the cruel victim of one of the horrors in an adventure totally worth it that's pretty (laughs) awesome 
I always love having an image in, in an RPG. It's a lot of fun. And be sure to join us next week for our review of Wingspan. 